The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Hello and welcome to Root of the Rot on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Stephen Heiner with our all-time guest for this series, His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan. Your Excellency, as always, thank you for taking your time to join us today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, why don't you start us with a prayer? Today we'll be speaking about the, the history of uh, one of the great organized forces of naturalism against Christ the King, which is uh, Freemasonry. So let us begin with an indulgence prayer for the conversion of Freemasons. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. amen. O Lord Jesus Christ, who showest forth thine omnipotence most manifestly when thou sparest and hast compassion, who did say, pray for those who persecute and calumniate you, we implore the clemency of thy sacred heart on behalf of souls made in the image of God, but most miserably deceived by the treacherous snares of Freemasons and going more and more astray in the way of perdition. Let not the church, thy spouse, any longer be oppressed by them, but appeased by the intercession of the Blessed Virgin, thy mother, and the prayers of the just, be mindful of thy infinite mercy, and disregarding their perversity, cause these very men to return to thee that they may bring consolation to the church by a most abundant penance, make reparation for their misdeeds, and secure themselves a glorious eternity, who livest and reignest world without end. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Your Excellency. I was prepping for today's episode, and I thought to myself that we have a lot of people who listen to Restoration Radio who are new converts. Mm-hmm. And if they're anything like me, when I came to the full Catholic faith, they didn't, they didn't know anything about Freemasonry. If they did, it was something vague. And I feel like we can't really talk about this topic without addressing the idea of conspiracy theory. Because if I yeah. mention that I have problems with Freemasonry to, uh, let's say, my, a mainstream agnostic friend, I'll say, well, Stephen, aren't you getting kind of conspiracy theory about this? So I suppose there's two things. One, can you address the overarching issue of being accused of being a conspiracy theorist um, and what that, what that really means? And then secondly, uh, is it fair to call Freemasonry conspiracy? Well, I would, I would be very happy to, uh, because uh, Freemasonry truly is one of the great hereditary enemies of Catholicism. Good proof, as we shall see today, of uh, the, the fact that Satan is always the ape of God. Conspiracy theory. 
just because there are a lot of nutty conspiracy theorists out there does not mean that there are, are not conspirators out there conspiring to destroy uh, the work of Christ the King, to destroy the Catholic Church, and that they have in a large, to a large measure, seemingly already uh, succeeded. I think that the answer to the conspiracy theory is the same as the answer to the question, how could this have happened? Which, of course, Stephen has inspired the series, The Root of the Rot. How could this have happened? If we unpack the history, the history of, uh, of, of the world, the last few centuries uh, since before the French Revolution, if we unpack the history of ideas, which is exactly what we have been doing in this series, The Root of the Rot, why then, we provide uh, the audience with uh, abundant proof that this is not foaming at the mouth nonsense. These are all facts. These are facts, if you will, facts and figures that, that, that spell a very sad tale indeed of, um, of the, the whole movement, the orga- what Father Faye calls the organized uh, movement of naturalism against uh, the kingship of Christ in our world, in the Catholic Church, and in society. It's always just... The, the best way to answer conspiracy theory, theory nuts and uh, that accusation is with the facts. Why don't you start us uh, by giving us some of those facts? Well, let's start with this idea, Stephen, that the devil is the ape of God. Of course, that's a backhanded compliment. Uh, the Catholic Church is the organized um, movement of supernaturalism in order to make Christ to reign as king, in order to save souls and bring all men into the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. When the Protestants uh, did their work of the destruction of the universal church in so many countries, of course, the Catholic Church will never be destroyed until uh, that is impossible for that to happen. Christ will come back in glory one day uh, and restore all in all. But in many countries, and in many ways, the Catholic Church was destroyed by the Protestant revolt. The uh, enemies of Christendom, the devil in effect, were left without some sort of a means to touch all men, and they yearn for an international society that would um, unite all people together in the same way that the Catholic Church does. However, for exactly the opposite purpose, precisely the opposite, the Catholic Church preaches a gospel of supernaturalism, that that man is called to share in God's life, the life of sanctifying grace in his soul. Freemasonry preaches the gospel of naturalism, as does the revolution, that man's happiness can be contained by pursuing purely natural ends in this world without, thank you very much, any, any interference from God or the world beyond. Uh, the, the naturalism of, uh, of Freemasonry is um, the same as what Father Fay calls the unorganized naturalism of, of man himself, starting with Adam and Eve. They, they, they foolishly believed the devil that they could be like little gods in their own natural paradise. Uh, it's, it, in, in a sense, it, it goes all the way back to Lucifer, who, who liked his nature and thought, this is enough. I don't have to submit myself to God. And he, he led the, the revolt of the heavenly host against God that was put, put down by St. Michael, the archangel. So what's Freemasonry? We have to start with always our definitions. Freemasonry is a, is a counter-church. It is the religion of the worship of man. 
Paul VI, uh, 50 years ago, uh, claimed that for his Novus Ordo Church, as we'll be talking about in, in due time. So, by Freemasonry, man is worshipped in his own paradise here on earth. Freemasonry, talking about it now, after we've devoted some, some shows to um, the discussion this season, it's now ending, to the discussion of uh, the Renaissance and, and the Protestant Revolt, uh, comes at a very logical place not only historically or chronologically, but also in the, in the, in the world of ideas, because Freemasonry embodies the very worst of the, of the, of the Renaissance humanism, man-centered, and the very worst of the Protestant revolt, which is uh, all about individualism and all about destruction and rebellion. It's the natural outgrowth of those systems about which we've already spoken, the Catholic Church exists in order to Christianize a pagan world. Freemasonry, as we shall see, exists in order to paganize the Christian world. So see, see, see the difference between the two. Um, the Church is organized supernaturalism. Freemasonry is organized naturalism. So much for our general philosophy, Stephen. And then now, now we, could, we could go to a little bit little bit the history of it. Um, if anyone in our audience has ever come across any, any literature or read any secular uh, articles about Freemasonry, you might know that they claim to go back to the time of ancient Egypt or King Solomon in building the temple. And they also claim uh, the Knights Templar, uh, who were uh, suppressed uh, by uh, Philip the Fair in France as uh, their first modern, uh, you might say their modern incarnation or their modern uh, organization. Uh, well, and it's true that, as, as, I've, as I've just said, it's true that there, there's always been that sort of disorganized spirit of, of naturalism about the world, and that goes back to original sin and the Garden of Eden. And it's also true that the Knights Templar who existed at the time of the Crusades, who were one of the military orders of Christendom, somehow in the Holy Land got themselves corrupted by being introduced into uh, into the world of the occult, into the world of Gnostic ideas. And we will see the world of the occult reemerge along with all this Gnostic uh, ceremonies and Gnostic uh, doctrine. We'll see it reemerge in um, in Freemasonry. But uh, Freemasonry, actually, modern Freemasonry, this is the fact of it, can trace itself as an organization only as far back as 1717 uh, in, in England. Uh, before that, you had, uh, in Christendom, before the Protestant Revolt, you had, uh, well, you could call them, I suppose, Masonic organizations, corporations of Masons, who actually were Masons. That is to say, they built buildings. And these corporations or guilds were instituted in Christian society for the protection of their members uh, and, and also to maintain secrets, but the, the true secrets of their craft. In other words, what's, what's, what's the recipe for mortar? What kind of stone should be used where? How do you cut a piece of stone? Th those, those were the, uh, the objects of the initial secrets of the craft. And you see, oh, you see, in history, Father Parsons is going all the way back to the year 926 in York, in uh, England, which is interesting because the Masons will eventually divide themselves up and there'll be the York Rite 
Masons and then the Scottish Rite Masons. It seems, though, that it's about the, um, about the time of the Protestant Revolt that there were some uh, German Masons, Masonic Lodges, being established, or we, 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 we can read the, the documents from that era, which are still quite Orthodox and quite Catholic and quite legitimate in their purposes. And at the same time, in Holland, what is today Holland and Amsterdam, in 1519, there comes another form of a Masonic corporation or, or union or guild or society. And now they are imbued with anti-Christian principles, which for the sake of prudence, they declare in their, in their documents, they will uh, keep secret. This docu- document is known as the, the Charter of Cologne. They're ostensibly devoted to charity. Keep that in mind. That's important, because still today the Masons will tell you, well, we're charitable. We're a worldwide charitable organization. Of course, that's false. That's, that, that's entirely false. That's, that's the cover for them. Um, in this uh, Charter of Cologne, the, the signers, the writers, speak about um, the need for prudence because of the prejudices of the times, and that uh, for the time being, uh, the Catholic Church has to be exalted still, but uh, later on, we'll be able to uh, to promote to promote what oh, they already say back then, the 16th century, we'll be able to promote um, the union of all men under one religion. That's uh, that's an important time, important document. Then we can go to England now. And in England, you have a a little bit more of a clear history of modern Freemasonry, and that's because of Protestantism and also the influence of the Rosicrucian fraternity, about whom, but which we'll we'll, we'll be speaking in just uh, in just a moment. Uh, The author, the the ritual of the Masons, for example, the the ritual comes from uh, from England, Grand Lodge of London in seventeen seventeen. Uh, Oliver Cromwell, who led the revolt against uh, King Charles I of England, he's a Mason, and he used Masonry for his own purposes. The Stuarts, who were supposedly the Catholics, uh, Charles, uh, James II, he founded, when he was in exile in France, he founded a Masonic Lodge. Already now we're in the, look, we're in the thick of it. And this is, I think, one of the great points. You talk about a conspiracy. Everybody is a Freemason. We spoke about that in the last show, about the Catholic and the non-Catholic lodges of Vienna and Mozart belonging to the Catholic lodge and so forth. How is it that everybody has become a Freemason? Well, that's the idea, isn't it? Universalism. At one time, there was only Christendom, and, and if, you were, if you were a Christian, that meant that, that you followed the Catholic faith. It was the one universal religion throughout the whole world. But now see how, over the space of maybe a couple of centuries, from 50 something to 17-something, you have this universal religion that everybody, uh, who is anybody in the world of science, of, of business, uh, of politics, of the academy, of the arts, uh, belongs to. Modern Freemasonry, they say, was actually finally broken off from the old remnants of the old, of the old school, going back to the, uh, the Cologne Charter and the rest, in 1717 by a physician, a theologian, and uh, an, another man just referred to as George Payne. And this new one, they contended now very, very clearly, very publicly, very openly, would pr- promote this unity which the Reformation had broken, a new kind of a spiritual community amidst all hostile parties, fostering what? 
works of charity, the philanthropic spirit amongst its members. And this is really the origin of modern Freemasonry, which would then spread during the early 18th century throughout um, all of Europe. Well, I've got two questions here. So why is it particular to this period of history? Because as you said, the, the Stuarts were in, and I'm thinking obviously here in France, after the after Louis the Sixteenth, you don't get another king who isn't part of the law. So Charles the right. Tenth, uh, Louis yes. Philippe, um, yes. they are all. And and that's the thing is that that after you've crossed after you pass the 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 place of regicide, all you can do is compromise. So mm-hmm. we we move into religious toleration, etc. So why well, guess, is it we'll that this didn't, Why didn't this ha- happen earlier? Why don't we see the Masons in let's say the 800s or the 1100s, what, what made it particular to this time period? Because it seems like they came out of nowhere or they, they, they grew very suddenly and then they were everywhere. Now, that's an interesting question. I think we have to go back again to the history we've just looked at. We have to look at the Knights Templar, uh, the, the chiefly French um, military order, ostensibly Catholic, in the Holy Land, somehow being introduced to the occult, uh, the the uh, esoteric world of Gnostic doctrine and Gnostic ritual. That's going to be one factor. They will, you know, they talk always in you know grade school history class about what the Crusades, the Crusades brought silk, the Crusades brought uh, spices to the New World. Da-da. Well, what, what was also brought to the, not to the New World, excuse me, but to Europe, to the Old World, was also brought with, were these, were these um, occult ideas that were, they, they were cooking in, in the 800s. And we'll see them later on when we speak about the other organized force of naturalism, Stephen, and that's, of course, the Jewish nation. But uh, we mustn't bite off more than we can chew just, just at this very moment. So that's going to be one factor. Another factor is going to be what we just spoke of, the Reformation, the destruction of the unity and also the authority of the Catholic Church in so many places and nations. So you've got this uh, this mix bubbling in some, in some, literally in some witch's cauldron, of all these new ideas. And then you have the Reformation. Thirdly, and I think very, very importantly, look at the philosophical history, taking you back where? To the same place that modern Freemasonry is established, England. So we have William of Ockham, we have nominalism, we have the destruction of a philosophy based upon reality, to now something essentially subjective. All we know, we just know the names of things. We can't really get to know things in their essences, uh, and then how that how that went went to uh, went across the channel and in, into France. Now that in turn influenced Martin Luther. So you've got philosophy, you've got the esoteric or the occult, you have the means of the conduit, you have nature abhors a vacuum. So for the organized forces of naturalism, you have this this vacuum now because the Catholic Church in so many countries has been destroyed. And now, voila, steps into it, I believe, by demonic power to a great degree, as well as for the natural reasons I've just outlined, you have Freemasonry, a new anti-church that comes in and comes in fully into power. The, the second question I have, which I think might lead you into, into the, the work of Freemasonry, I suppose, is... Something I'm, I'm loath to disclose, but I have to admit what I am. Uh, being an American, I feel that 
my collective fellow countrymen are going to shrug their shoulders. Again, I'm speaking about those people who are coming over from the Novus Ordo. They've never heard about any of this stuff before, Your Excellency. Um, and I, I want to tell it by way of a, something I stumbled upon. I, I disclosed in a, in a, on my personal blog, Not True Restoration, some years ago about something that happened at a Rotary Club meeting. I just mentioned it casually because it didn't even occur to me that there was anything wrong with being a member of Rotary. Um, the fact that I'm a public figure brought this to people's attention immediately. And I found out that uh, I couldn't really be a member of Rotary and a practicing Catholic. Uh, no. <laughs> I, think, I think the reason why, twofold, one, I didn't know what Rotary really was. But secondly, I was imbued at that time, all of six years ago, it wasn't that long ago that this anti-brainwashing began where I started to understand some of these things. An American might shrug his or her shoulders and say, but your excellency, what's wrong with naturalism? I mean, what's wrong? I mean, can't that be a compliment to supernaturalism? And I think that that's the problem that I started with. So when I was confronted with the fact that the membership in Rotary was wrong or, or that Freemasonry was this big issue, and I started to do my research into it, I, I had known that Freemasonry was an issue. I didn't know that Rotary was one of its shadow outreaches. But people might say, but Your Excellency, what's wrong with naturalism? Oh and I goodness. know we, we've, an, we've, answer, <laughs> yeah. we've answered this to an extent. We've answered this to an extent in several episodes this season. But mm -hmm. since we're going back to Freemasonry, I feel like we've got to answer that before we go into the methods and the work of Freemasonry. The, certainly, Stephen. The, the, these are truths that have to be repeated. And as often as we repeat them on Restoration Radio or in our, the writings of the different fathers and bishops or from the pulpits, our churches, uh, that will be as nothing in comparison with the lie, the lie that was drummed into us since we were very, very little, since we went to school, the lie that we breathe in with the air that we breathe, and not only America and France and throughout the entire world. Uh, naturalism is, is that movement, which, as I repeat, which, which uh, teaches and holds and promotes the idea that man can achieve his end or his purpose in existence without any reference to anything supernatural, to anything above his own nature, without any necessary reference, shall we say. You can have a, your own personal religion if you care to, and if you like ritual, well, that would be fine. And if you want to just uh, work the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving, say, that's okay, too. But uh, that's just your, that's your private affair. That has nothing to do with the world and making the world a better place. And that has nothing to do with you having a meaningful life. Uh, all that matters is, is that which you can see and grasp and hold and your mind uh, can, can reason its way through. That's naturalism. Uh, supernaturalism claims that what you see is, is not all that you're going to get that there's something else, that God has given a revelation, that God has a plan, that as a matter of fact, nature came about because of the supernatural, and that nature exists to serve a supernatural purpose. A man is created, St. Ignatius says, to glorify his Lord God, to, to, to serve him, and thus to, thus to save his soul. That we have an immortal soul, we have a soul to be saved, that's the reason we're on this earth. And, we, and supernaturalism then says, no, you cannot achieve the purpose, you cannot reach the end, of, of your existence as a human being. You cannot be a success and you cannot be happy unless you have great, great reference to something which is above and beyond your human nature, which is supernatural. Uh, and that's revelation and that's the Catholic Church. Does that make sense to you, Stephen? Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> so, so how do they uh, go about accomplishing their ends of converting all of us to naturalism and 
And uh, as I mentioned, you know, Rotary is one of those, but that's rather latter day. Let's start at the beginning. Um, you, 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 you know, about- you know what I, you know what I think is very, is very helpful, and uh, it's it's programmed for us to talk about today, is the instruction of the Alta Vendita, the the work of the Carbonari in Italy. Um, I was just reviewing that today, and. That actually, so let's defer the answer to that question for a little bit, and we'll eat a little bit more spinach together here, Stephen, and then um, then we'll, we'll we'll get into that. That's, uh, I think that the 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 instruction of the Alta Vendita is uh, is a capital. It's just a key key document to, to answering your question, which is an excellent one. How do they do it? How do they imbue us all with, with, with naturalism? And how have they, and this is the answer to the, the root of the rot, really, how do they take over the Catholic Church? How do they take over the papacy? I'll tell you. But first of all, let's talk about the Rose Croix, the, the Rosicrucians, because they're uh, a bit like the Kabbalistic Jews. They're the ones who are responsible for a lot of the, uh, of the esoteric doctrine of, of Freemasonry, which is very akin to pantheism. Um, the, 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 uh, the outward uh, purpose of the Rosicrucian movement, or secret society, um, was, um, w- w- was actually the, uh, the, the, one of the great um, occult movements of the, of the Catholic Middle Ages. So the Rosicrucians actually uh, go, go, go back in their origins to the, to the Middle Ages. This idea of being able to transform, to find a magical way to transform baser metals into gold. And also... Let's see how modern this is to find some occult means of prolonging life and to carry on the practice of the of the occult arts for for the benefit of um, uh, an individual and the benefit of of man um, so Freemasonry from the eighteenth century on is going to be t- adopting some of these um, rosicrucian ideas and and putting them into the mix uh, all of the modern ideas that the natural with which the naturalists wish to imbue us and our children are, are now very from the 18th century on very uh, very obvious very openly promoted in in the works of Freemasonry um, at, at one time the, the true the true guilds of, of Catholic Masons in England and in Europe swore to be true to God and Holy Church and to use no error or heresy. The Freemason now swears only to follow the religion in which all men agree, uh, leaving the particular opinion to themselves, uh, that is, to be good men and true, or men of honor and honesty, doesn't matter, by whatever denomination or persuasion they may be distinguished. Um, and then this, this, this religion is the new Catholicism, say the Masonic documents. That's, that's the modern idea. And that rings true. It rings true in, in modern eras, including those of Catholics or even so-called traditional Catholics, and not just uh, from, the, from, from the Novus Ordo. So you have the whole Novus Ordo program in a word presented already in 18th century Freemasonry. The idea of um, a vague deism, there's a God out there, 
but but uh, naturalism is what matters, and you can follow any religion. You can be a pagan, you can be a Mohammedan, be a Buddhist, be a Christian. It doesn't make any difference, really. We, we set aside our differences, and we work together uh, to make for a, a good life for people here on Earth. Um, around the same time, 18th century, uh, Freemasonry took on um, very decidedly its international uh, or internationalist, I should say, characteristics. Uh, religious indifferentism, we've just been speaking about, and also internationalism as, as regards politics. We speak sometimes about this excess, uh, it's a very Jewish thing, the excess of, of patriotism, of do patriotism. But now Freemasonry, uh, in its traditional role of conspiring against the throne, against the king, will, will say that... Uh, your loyalty to your Masonic brethren comes first before your loyalty to a particular state or government. Um, how did how did Masonry spread? How did it spread and and indeed so rapidly throughout you know all Europe, North, America, North South America, India, China, uh, throughout really the whole the whole world? Um, it spread in France particularly, and then, of course, France had such an influence on the rest of the world, it spread in France through those two Catholic heresies, which had done such damage in France in the 17th century and the 18th century uh, to prepare the way for the um, French Revolution, Gallicanism and, uh, and Jansenism. These two really are, are sort of forms of introducing Calvinism uh, into, into Catholic life and Catholic thought. Gallicanism... In, in, is, is, is sort of a French version of Anglicanism. It, it maintains that the king of France is the head of the church in France. And that was, uh, and then that leads you to absolutism, the idea of the absolute um, unmodified power of kings. It's essentially uh, anti-papal and, and really rather Protestant in its origin, as is Jansenism. Jansenism sometimes has the na name of a Catholic uh, Protestantism. It's anti-royal, it's democratic, and it's full of the, the spirit of, of Calvinistic or Protestant revolution, Jansenism. It's funny because Jansenism sort of reduced if, um, oh, I don't know, Stephen, if you, if you, announce that you're going to fast during Advent or you're going to, or that you go to confession frequently you examine your conscience at night, somebody might very well accuse you of being a Jansenist. It's funny how those things are, are, are reduced. And, and, uh, but that, that too is part of the trick of the, uh, of, of, of the, of the conspiracy to take a, a little seed of truth and then to exaggerate it and to make it into some sort of a calumny and some sort of an attack. But that's, this is the reality of Jansenism. It's a, it's, it's yet another way of Protestantism trying to introduce itself into Catholic uh, society. And all of these things, especially Jansenism, leads to a real coldness in religion. Remember, in countries where Freemasonry tolerates the Mass and tolerates Catholicism, the one thing it will not tolerate is devotion. Devotion has to be removed, and religion has to be made into a cold um, sort of a society affair. And anything in the way of of, of the real of real warmth, the love for our Lord, think of devotion to the Sacred Heart, the Blessed Sacrament, Our Lady. Those things, as you see in Austria under Josephism, those things have to be destroyed. They're uh, they're just not going to be uh, they're not going to be permitted. So. 
part of the spread of Freemasonry was, uh, of course, through our friends, the French. Um, and it appealed to them, this, this naturalistic idea of, of Freemasonry, uh, because of a certain French, French penchant, I guess that's a French word too, towards self-worship. Uh, especially in the 18th century. Uh, in the 18th century, they were so proud of themselves, the building of Versailles as a new home for the gods and the, the glories of the Sun King and uh, the French Empire and all, and all of the rest, that um, uh, the idea of worshiping themselves rather than worshiping Almighty God was pretty appealing. And there you have it, Freemasonic lodges sprouting up everywhere throughout France. And so that becomes an, a network of, of revolution, uh, hot, different hotbeds throughout France uh, uh, with, with its most prominent citizens, including the clergy, actively involved in the spirit of revolt, of atheism, anti, anti-papalism, anti-Catholicism. Uh, and then from France, these ideas are spread throughout the whole world, uh, partly by Napoleon, as we saw last time, and um, his, his wars, and uh, Partly just through through the through the the conspiracy or the network of Freemasonic lodges that takes you to uh, Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and the American Revolution and the United States of America. So that's a little bit about how it spread. Um, does that help any? Yeah, absolutely, Your Excellency. So that's these 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 are really some essential ideas. Of, um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought us back to some of the, the, the basic ideas of, of, of the series itself about naturalism, because as, as, as we were saying, you, you can't repeat it too often. Sometimes there's always a danger in history to lose yourself in history, to lose yourself in the facts, the personalities and the figures. But um, we have to avoid that. We have to always be able to step back a little bit by asking questions and to see see the, 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 general, the general picture of things. Um, but now let's go back to history a little bit to look at the, the work of the Freemasons. Um, and uh, now we're in 19th century France uh, during a period which is referred to as the Restoration. This follows the defeat of Napoleon. And there is a seeming, and I'm going to insist on that adjective, there's a seeming, I don't think it was a real, restoration of the old, of the old way, the royal way, the Bourbon monarchy. So you're, saying it wasn't a, you're saying it wasn't a true restoration? Yet. It was not a true restoration at all. No, no, no. It was, um, it was, uh, it was a bit of nostalgia, and it was a bit of costume drama, but the the real restoration was not there. No. Why wasn't the real restoration there? Because the Catholic Church in all of her glory was not there. She had her wings clipped already by the uh, Napoleon's Concordat with, uh, with with the Catholic Church with Pius VII. And um, in the so-called restoration, there were the two great, great evils as the popes never ceased to point out. That is to say, uh, the so-called freedom of religion and the um, insanity of the freedom of the press. So you have those two things. Uh, freedom of the press, that means that the Masonic press can write and say whatever it wants to uh, in the way of interpretation of modern events, current events, and in the way of attack upon upon Catholicism, the principles of, of revelation. So it was what the restoration at the very best was a half-hearted measure, Stephen. It was temporary. It, it could never have lasted because 
that's that's one of the things we we understand today. Unless it's based on principle, Catholic principle, necessarily the foundation is shaky, and uh, nothing is. It's just a. You, you step back and you look at it and you think to yourself, wow, what a waste of time. All these, and there, there, are, there are Catholics. There are Catholics around today, Stephen, who spent a lot of time, not just in the United States, but in France, certainly, and in Italy, on politics. And, but unless that's all based on firm, uh, immutable Catholic principles, what a waste of time that can be. So you see all of this ink and, and all of, the, all of this uh, manpower, all of the thought, all of the talk. And uh, what, what, was the, the, what was the end purpose of the uh, end result of the, of the restoration? Why, nothing at all. It was just a back and forth and, and, and a back and forth. And who, who won during this time? The Freemasons won during this time. The 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 paganism of the of the higher classes, and that all that whole Enlightenment kind of spirit that never diminished. And the lower classes had been for so long without religion that, despite the very best efforts of the, of the Church in France and the saints and the Blessed Mother herself, the Mother of God appearing in so many places to to get France Catholic again. It never really took. It never really took. And the paganism of Freemasonry continued to be on, on the march. So why, why do we end up with this modern infidelity that we face today, irreligion and, and revolt? Freemasonry is the key. That, that explains it. Um, why are there constant revolutions, constant wars, political upheaval, assassinations, and, and religious persecution, not only in the history of the 19th and 20th century, but, but today still. Freemasonry provides the answer. This network of, of secret societies, some openly irreligious or openly communistic, and uh, others just occult and hidden. Uh, they, they, there's a network of them throughout the, the world, and we maintain that that's Freemasonry. That is the conspiracy of Freemasonry, um, which pretty much controls all of these secret societies and all of these movements of, of revolution and the rest. It would be interesting for somebody to do a study of, um, and you, you could almost go ahead and say it, of ISIS and these, these, these Mohammedan movements, and you could just trace them back to the organized forces of naturalism today. The Italian Revolution, we'll be speaking about that in a moment because we want to look at the Carbonari, and I promised a little something about the Alta Vendita. The Mexican Revolution, which interests me very much because of my association with the Catholics and the priests in, in Mexico, that, uh, that dates from 1870, but even, even before that. The um, Young Turk Movement in the Ottoman Empire, which then is... Uh, connected with the true genocide, the genocide of the Armenian Christians uh, after World War I. Um, and, and again, that, that very fierce anti-Christian spirit that these different Mohammedan and secular movements in, in that part of the world um, display. They all have their source. They all have their, their inspiration in Masonic teaching, and not just Masonic teaching, part and parcel, if you just okay, unpack the story, look at the history, part and parcel of it is the work of intrigue, the work of the lodges, uh, all the, the revolutions in South America, as well as the revolutions in Mexico. 
are all are the, the secret work that was done, and, and sometimes priests, as well as the, the nobility and educated, are, are they're truly the, the leaders of this, of, of, of all the secret uh, intrigue. Uh, and then what's the role of the press? The role of the press is to um, is to lie about what is really going on, to um, approve, to support directly and indirectly. And when there's something really outrageous, then they then they just sort of ignore it. Maybe they just uh, glaze over it. That's the role of the of the Mason controlled press, say, in in in, in, the, in the Western world today. Um, some writers, Father Cahill, who is a, a real expert on Freemasonry. Go so far, Stephen, as to say that uh, that they're all they're all part of the network, or they're offshoots of Freemasonry. Even societies as seemingly diverse as the Communists, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, um, the Orange Society of Ireland, and the IRA. Isn't that interesting? That boy, it would almost make you think, Stephen, that there's a conspiracy afoot. What do you think? <laughs> well, um, you know, when you when you tie it together like that, Your Excellency, I mean, maybe maybe there is. And I, I think that's what I would pose to people. If you're, if you're coming to this with some skepticism, if you're thinking about the idea that, you know, well, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories, just ask yourself, what's the explanation for all of this? Is it just random that there's these revolutions? Is just random that these groups have come together and are successful, or is there any? We, you know, we have no problem looking at successful businesses, Your Excellency, and saying, "Oh, well, there's that. It just happened." So when you look at successful revolutions or successful intellectual movements, it has the same same root. There were there were good leaders who put their ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they're good talents for wicked uses, but. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't we can't say that these revolutions created themselves. I mean, that's silly. No, it, certainly not. Certainly not. And then the role of the press and the so-called free press in in the modern world in um, promoting these revolutions and the ideas behind them, I think it truly is of of capital importance. So to go back a little bit again to to French history, the idea of the restoration as not really a restoration at all. It's just one one a series of a series of revolts. Truly, um, one after another, and Freemasonry always behind it, pulling the strings. Um, and the, the and the popes, as I said, Pius VII, speaking so very clearly and forthrightly about um, the the evils uh, and the corruption that comes about as a result of the so-called uh, freedom of the press, and also the. Um, protection of all religions that the French uh, rest- restored monarchy guaranteed and how, op- and how offensive to Almighty God uh, and, and to the good of society such a thing is. There was a, So they went from having uh, proper kings, uh, Louis the uh, XVIII, Charles the, the Tenth, to having the, the so-called citizen king, Louis-Philippe of the House of Orléans, and he was going to be a modern king, and he would have, um, and he would just sort of be symbolic of uh, of the of the uh, of the uh, the nation, a little bit like the the English monarchy is uh, today, and all the Masonic ideals would be firmly entrenched in place. Uh, and even the way he dresses, that's important too. He's the first one, the first first king then, to wear the, the clothing of an ordinary gentleman, the precursor in effect of the business suit, 
and this is a change in mentality. Uh, all the modern monarchs are, are the same way today, of course. The king is a servant of the sovereign people. He's a symbol, but that but that's all. There's no, there's nothing particularly sacred about his person. He's not anointed. Kings are not anointed anymore. There's no connection with the supernatural. It's just naturalism rampant once again. So, um, so in, in going back to French history then, so Fr- France in effect becomes a democracy under the guise of a monarchy with, 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 its, uh, with its citizen king. A very important victory for Freemasonry, toppling the old form of government and and moving in in the direction of a of a full scale democracy and the separation of church and state and then the 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 um the suppression the almost suppression of the church once again under the power of the state so um well with with i just think there's there's no way back from regicide i mean when you no. when you kill the king there's there's really no way back i mean even even if we look at the so called restoration in england when the Stuarts came back, it was already it was yes. already compromised. Even biblically, and that's be- you know, if we think yeah. about and if we think about the death of Saul, yeah. I, I, there's not there's not really a way back from killing the king. There's not. No, there 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 isn't, and that's because and, and one of the reasons I think why there's no way back from killing the king is that they already killed the king. That is to say, in the sense of a consecrated Catholic monarch. Uh, who, who then had his role to play uh, in, in this proper relationship with the Catholic Church, they already killed the, the concept of the Catholic king a long time before they separated the head of the last king from his body. How did they do that? They did it by Gallicanism. They did it by Jansenism. They did it by the absolute right of monarchs. And they did it by uh, not only these Protestant ideas in Catholic societies, but they did it as well by the Masonic ideas in Catholic societies. So if you look at the history of the 18th century and all these false ideas, it's always ideas. It's always ideas, ideas that are then carried out and uh, carried out in, 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 in action by uh, the, the, the intriguers, the plotters, the conspirators. So then, so it, it was already dead before it was dead. And, and I think that as, as we, as we, as we study the root of the rot, it's important for us to see that, and yet at the same time, never to give way to a spirit of despair, much less a kind of a cynicism, which could only be the work of the devil. In our work, to try to see the restoration of, um, restoration of, of true Catholicism, so much in the way of the so-called glorious monarchy, and France in particular, was actually filthy, and I stress this again, as I did in previous shows, disgusting and anti-Catholic and heretical. The battle had already been lost in all of these countries. Was the battle lost in France already, do you think? Philip the Fair, when he sends his agents to slap the Pope in the face and to take him down from his throne and pull the papal vestments off of him. Possibly. At least that was the beginning of the end. You see, all of these things, these are all the deaths of, 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 of the Catholic monarchy. And the, the, the ritual, and it was a ritual too, the ritual removing of the head from the body, that was just the last act in the public uh, Masonic liturgy or, or rite. Um, why then? I think we could ask ourselves too before we do get into the Alta Vendita. Why? Why all this dancing around? Why this back and forth? For example, um, the Masons support 
the uh, Bourbon, the restoration of the Bourbon monarchy under certain terms and conditions. When the Masons decide that they're tired of the Bourbons and they want to move the game forward now, then they promote a revolution and the general uh, in charge of the king's, supposedly the king's troops, well, he's a Freemasonry, and he be a Freemason, and he betrays the king because the orders have been given. Why all this back and forth? Why all this uh, such a checkered history? I think it's because of uh, that philosophical idea we, we spoke of uh, in some previous show from German philosophy, which is absolutely uh, the program of Bergoglio and of Ratzinger and the conciliar church. That is to say, the Hegelian dialectic. There's, there, the, the way, how do the Masons take over? They, they create a conflict between what Hegel calls a thesis, and then its opposing idea, the antithesis, and then in that battle, in that, uh, in that sort of nuclear fission or explosion that, that takes place, then you have the beginnings of a new synthesis. And it's going to be a Masonic synthesis full of all their Masonic ideas of all the, the perfectly acceptable and uh, respectable Masonic ideas. I think that's the reason why there's so much back and forth in history and why it's not just a real, clo- a real, a real sort of smooth progress all the way through. Well, the Masons, of course, in, in Italy wanted to get rid of the Pope and they wanted to get rid of the papal states. Italy, our audience should know, uh, as a, as a unified state, only uh, came about as a result of a Masonic or Carbonari revolution against the Pope, Pius IX, and uh, all of the states that he ruled throughout central Italy. At one time, the Pope ruled almost all the Italian peninsula, but um, that was subject to the vagaries of history and of wars and of, and of invasions. The, the Masons resolved that they would take Italy away from the Pope and make it into a modern so-called uh, constitutional monarchy and eventually a republic or, or a democracy. That was their goal and that was their aim. The, the group of Masonic revolutionaries who achieved this were known as the charcoal burners, the carbonari, and um, th- that was a code term, of course. Um, they they referred to the place where their members uh, assembled on the inside as as the uh, as sort of like the, the the shop or the or the sale place where 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 one would sell coal, and that was known as the vendita. From, for, for the Italian word for sale. And then the chief marketplace for, for st- in effect, the selling of their ideas, they referred to as the Alta Vendita. And our audience may be familiar with uh, a document known as the instruction, the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, which was written in Italy in 1821. And uh, agents of the Pope with the papal government in 1846 came across it and seized it. It was given to the Pope, Gregory XVI at that time, and he gave it to a, a very erudite French uh, prelate, uh, Monsieur Chrétinou Joly, in March of the same year. And he published it, he translated it into French, and then he published it to make known uh, the ideas of the Italian revolutionaries. So to answer a lot of our questions, finally, I think... We can spend a little time uh, going over the Alta Vendita. Um, The the idea is this. In in effect, they're saying, all right, fellow revolutionaries, 
how are we going to how are we going to take over Italy? Well, they they acknowledge more than many Catholics did back then the immense prestige and power of the papacy. You see it still today. They talk about the the leverage of the popes and how they can inspire. Uh, not only devotedness and enthusiasm, but but even but even martyrdom. So they're saying, how are they going to destroy Catholicism? The idea is that slowly, very, very slowly, they will infiltrate Catholicism, starting with the youth, and eventually, if they're patient enough, they will achieve their end. But they're saying that any in this document they say any shortcut is stupid, it's self-indulgent, and it eventually would be self-defeating. So they say, for example, look, we could put, it's true, we could probably infiltrate a man into the College of Cardinals, who would then become Pope, supposedly under our orders. But then, with with an interesting knowledge of human nature, Stephen, they say, but what would he do? If he had all the power of the papacy, he would betray us, because it's power versus power. We would lose on that one. No, we have to play this game slowly, on the um, on the field of um, on the field of uh, ideas. And so they look to um, they, they they say, well, the the kind of pope that we would like to get for ourselves is uh, a pope like uh, Clement the Fourteenth. He's the one. Who uh, very like, sort of the lapdog of the of the Masonic Bourbons, who suppressed the the Jesuit order, just just before the, the era of the, of the French Revolution. We want a we want a successor of Peter, like that. Then 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 how are we going to do that? Well, one thing they say is identify and go after any Catholic ecclesiastic of of prominence who's not. Day, who's not in our ideas, who doesn't agree with us. Remember, uh, they, they, they tell each other, one word can sometimes kill a man. That's a quote. Give him a reputation that would frighten little children and old women. Paint him as cruel and, and bloody. Destroy his good name. That's one way uh, for any any effective opposition, destroy the good name of it. That's one way in which they're going to achieve their ends and their purposes. Um, they summarize by saying, crush the enemy, whoever he may be, crush the powerful by means of lies and calumnies, but especially crush him in the egg. What do they mean by that crush him in the egg? They mean go after the youth, uh, infiltrate the schools, uh, the seminaries, the universities um, with modern ideas. Remove anybody who is an effective believer and proponent in classic true Catholicism, the, the supernatural order, go out and then fill the heads of all the rest with all of our philosophy and uh, all of our ideas. And then what will happen in time? Eventually, the young clergy will succeed to the older clergy, and they're the ones whom we have formed in our schools with our liberal and our modern ideas. And then slowly and in time, we would get bishops, cardinals, and finally a pontiff who is necessarily imbued with what they call Italian and humanitarian principles. 
It's, it, this is the little grain of mustard seed. We're planting it in the earth and very patiently waiting for the sun of justice to develop it into a very great power and then a rich harvest in due time. And then, and then let me read this classic part that, that's very well known in um, traditional or true Catholic circles. They said this, let the clergy march under your banner in the belief always that they march under the banner of the apostolic keys. Lay down your nets like Simon Barjona. Lay them in the depths of the sacristies, the seminaries, the convents, rather than in the depths of the sea, and you will precipitate nothing. You will give yourself uh, a draft of fishes more miraculous than Peter's. The fisher of fishes will become the fisher of men. You will bring yourselves as friends around the apostolic chair, and then this uh, triumphant conclusion. You will have fished up a revolution in Tierra and Cope, marching with cross and banner, a revolution which it will need but to be spurred on a little to put the four quarters of the world on fire. That's their final goal. And how is it obtained finally? By education, Stephen, by ideas, by a false philosophy. That, and you start with the kids and then and just go on all the way up. And anybody gets in your way, you destroy him. Destroy his good name, destroy his reputation, maybe kill him. I don't know. That's more the conspiracy part. But usually it's sufficient just to, just to destroy him in, in that sense. And then you will have uh, you'll have your revolution. It will be led by the Pope. I wanted to mention too. Well, I found found it extremely interesting. Portions of the Alta Vendita were reprinted under the. I don't know which particular group reprinted them. It's a little booklet. You see it maybe Tan at some point was selling them, um, and the editor, the editor was this John Venari, who was one of the leaders of the R and R, the Recognize and Resist movement. The part that I just read you about fishing up a revolution in Tierra and Cope. That part was suppressed and removed from his edition of it because that wouldn't go along with their their anti sedevacantist reading of history and their their rather unusual interpretation of Catholicism that the leaders of the R and R movement promote. But this is the truth of it. This is the truth of it. And in a sense, this is maybe the high the high point of the the root of the rot because this is it. This is this is what they do. This is this is what they said that they would do. This is what they have done. Hmm. Well, down the memory hole, as they say. Indeed, indeed. And then, and then after that, everything else is just sort of gravy. So you have the actual, you have the, all the the Masonic planned revolutions of 1848, and um, we have the first Masonic revolution in Rome. Uh, which uh, caused uh, the Holy Father to, to flee down to the uh, the Kingdom of Naples, and um, there were more, of course, more revolutions in France. The French never met a revolution they did not like, and then you have uh, the Germans agitating agitation in Austria and in Hungary. Constitutions are demanded. All these modern ideas have to be put into effect. But remember, these are revolutions by and large against against what? A Christian social order? No, against the true against the remnants of Christendom, but essentially they are revolutions against the first stage of the revolution. <laughs> so talk about controlled. They're revolutions against Masonic Masonic governments 
against Masonic ministers who surround the king or the emperor and who have already promoted their enlightenment ideals uh, to to a great degree. It's just it's just moving it's just moving the things along. It's like the next uh, move in this immense chess game. Who's uh, uh, who's um, a bit like professional wrestling? They've already decided who's going to win, and that's this is these. It's just sort of uh, just sort of play acting, in effect. And I want to remind listeners that you are listening to Root of the Rot on the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be easily obtained by writing to mail m a i l at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show on iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps those looking for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our work. Wesley, I know you had alluded to earlier that there's, masonry is, is a great force uh, or one of the great forces of organized naturalism, but you, you said that there was another, and I feel this is probably a good time for us to talk about that. There is, and, and it would be, and it's a, it's a very delicate subject because... If, if the general talk about Masonic conspiracy it would make someone, say, a Novus Ordo Catholic, who might be somewhat inclined to question all this, the presuppositions of his religion, if that would say, oh, conspiracy, I don't know. If you would speak about the role of the Jewish nation in the organized forces of religion, he would just look at you and probably walk away. And yet, we can't understand anything. We can understand nothing at all about history, about Catholicism about the organized forces of naturalism against the Church and Christ the King, unless we understand the role of the first nation, which was chosen by Almighty God to promote the kingship of Christ and to bring the whole world into subjection to God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. And of course, that was the Jewish nation. They were offered that role, and they refused, Father Fahey says, to, to become the harbingers of supernatural life and supernatural peace for the world. They, re, they refused to build up the mystical body of Christ. Um, and they took refuge more and more in their own, uh, in their own naturalism, in their own excessive national um, patriotism, which is still, you see that today in the headlines. But then at the same time, finally, have in their pride and their and their sort of delirious demonic opposition to their own Messiah, whom they have rejected, they promote themselves today as uh, the Messiah. So at one time there 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 were a constant series of, of false messiahs, but eventually it was settled over history that in opposition to the divinity of Jesus Christ and to the kingship of Christ, that uh, the Jewish nation itself would be the savior of the world. And the Jewish nation itself would set up a, a new order, a new society. You see it in education, you see it in the arts, you see it in Hollywood, movies, entertainment, uh, and in the world of ideas of philosophy, too. They would set up a new society in opposition to the Christian order, or the Christian society. And this would be something which was purely uh, nationalistic. So the, role, the, the modern role of the Jewish nation, according to their own, according to their own proponents, is to, uh, to establish a natural uh, you may say a natural alternative, uh, an, but rather a natural opposition to the supernatural reign of uh, Christ our King. Uh, 
But it's only through the supernatural life, and this is what we insist on as Catholics, which the Jewish nation, Father Faye says, persistently rejects, that we can live our lives in order, that we can have a happy life, a peaceful life, a meaningful life, and save our immortal souls. It's, it all goes back to the Jewish desire to eradicate belief in the divinity of Christ and to promote instead the purely natural happiness of their messianic era. And that's the reason for the world struggle, which goes on in so many places throughout the world. And then, then there are conspiracies within conspiracies, and then there are plans and plots. And as we've just seen with the Italian revolutionaries, the Carbonari, the anti-Christian revolutionaries are nothing if not patient. Here they don't, they don't believe in eternal life, but uh, they, they, they believe in their demonic ideals. But they're, they're willing to, to live, to work, and to sacrifice for these ideals, even though they know by their own terms and their own ideology that they'll never see the fruit of them. It has to go very, very slowly. This Jewish opposition to our Lord is seen clearly in the Gospels on the part of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in eternal life. The Pharisees seemingly had some sense or some idea of it, and they did believe in the resurrection of of the body. As Jewish history went on after the destruction of the Jewish people, the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, moving to what's called the diaspora or the the exile, especially to Babylon, you see the codification of their new Jewish religion in the Talmud. And uh, our audience will will have heard this phrase, the Kabbalah, the secret or the mystical uh, teachings about the... uh, about the esoteric aspect of the Jewish religion connected with pantheism, connected too with magic and the occult, uh, superstition, and in effect with, um, with the devil worship. And all of this, Father Fahey insists, is the codification of Jewish opposition to the kingship of Christ. Um, our, our Lord makes us to submit when we are united with him to God the Father so that, the, so that, so that God may be, may be all in all. And the, the, the Jews are the ones then who lead the opposition to that and to promote instead the deification of the natural powers of man. Um, one of the, uh, a certain uh, French author, Lazare is his name, he maintains that the Jews were at the cradle of Freemasonry and that they were indeed Kabbalistic Jews, those who promoted this, these mystical, magical, superstitious kinds of rites. Father Fahey says the Kabbalistic Jews oppose uh, the priesthood of Christ, whereas the Talmudic Jews oppose the kingship of Christ. So see, see the distinction in the two. And that, that since, uh, ever since the cradle of Freemasonry with, with the Jews at the side, they have, they have marched pretty much in, in, in lockstep with the promotion of, of these two big ideas in, in Judaism and modern thought, practical rationalism that has to be all submitted to man, and everything must be, must be something we can know by our own, our own figure out, uh, argue about and conclude by our own natural powers, unaided by any anything that's so-called supernatural. And then the other idea is the idea of pantheism. Um, uh, the the idea is that um, everybody is your God and I'm God and everybody is God, and uh, that's that. Well, that's what you do with God, and and the Jews then come as the Messiah of the human race. 
um, the masonry then comes comes uh, comes uh, under the under the Jews as the second great organized force of naturalism after the Jewish nation, we should say. And then a, a little subset of that would be the different revolutionary societies: the Carbonari, uh, modern communism, the IRA, uh, and the the Orange Men would, would be just uh, would be just some examples of that. So uh, that's just a little tiny bit about about the, the the question of the Jewish nation. I recommend to our, our readers, as I've done in the past, the writings of uh, Father Fahey, The Mystical Body of Christ in the Modern World, or The Mystical Body of Christ in the Reorganization of Society. The latter is, is a longer book. Uh, the the former is uh, is a more of a, sh- a little bit of a shorter summary. Um, if you if you start to understand these things, then you can get beyond the bugaboo about conspiracy. You can get beyond the bugaboo about uh, prejudice. And you have some idea of the truth. You can organize your thinking uh, according to supernaturalism instead of letting them organize your thinking for you by education, by the press, by the air entertainment, and the air we breathe uh, by um, by naturalism. And that's that. That's really the opposition. That's really the opposition. Remember that the the uh, the organized forces of naturalism cannot bear the mass because the mass is the organized submission of the human race to Jesus Christ, who is the man God, in adoration of the Father. They can't bear that, and they will always work to destroy it. But the organized forces of naturalism work slowly, a little bit at a time, and right now. In their history, just as once they promoted the Bourbon Restoration, in their history today, they're they're promoting the existence of a um, of a of a rather widespread so-called restoration after the revolution of Vatican II uh, decapitated the Pope and, and and true Catholicism. And part of that restoration is the the permission of the so-called Latin Mass and Latin Mass societies and, and organizations and uh, congregations of clergy and so forth. But all of that is a temporary expedient, or it's a little bit the idea of the Hegelian dialectic. Let's have, a, let's have an opposition, and then let's see what comes as a result of it. But there's no idea of any of these people who, who promote uh, this go-along-to-get-along mentality, that this is the one true worship that Christ offers his father. No, that's, that's gone. You, it's, it's the, it's the, it goes back to the Charter of Cologne. It goes back to the origins of Freemasonry. You have your religion in the 18th century. You have your religion. I have my religion. We're going to promote the, the, the common good of mankind, and everything else is just your own personal beliefs. Uh, all, see, all of these ideas are very firmly established. If we unpack history and unpack the history of ideas and the history of events in, in their light and in the light of revelation of Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church, we can begin to understand these things for ourselves. We can, we can see, as Stephen says about himself with the Rotarians, we can see where, where we've been deceived. I can see that in, in, my, own, in my own life, in my, in my own thought. Uh, uh, and, and any Catholic today would, would, would be able to say exactly the same thing. So, um, and it's a little bit like the, um, like the, uh, in the Samaritans, the Samaritan neighbors of um, Fotina, the, the woman at the well, 
who was converted by our blessed Savior when he sat one Friday at the well before his passion, and he told her all of the sins that she had committed, he said, she said to her neighbors, and then they listened to our Lord, and they listened to his apostles, and they said finally in John's Gospel, now we believe not because of what you told us, but because of what we ourselves have heard. And for us to be able to to, to live and to die as Catholics, clinging to the supernatural order that we are resolved to, re, to restore and reestablish in this world, that's, that's what it takes. If you listen to somebody else or you listen to something fairly sensational sounding, sure, it can seem like the, the, the work of crazy conspiracy enthusiasts. But when you look at history, when you look at Revelation, what the Catholic Church teaches, what the popes have taught, when you look at the history of ideas, in some kind of a fairly impartial way even, you can see, you can see exactly what is going on. So um, what could be a summary, do you think, C. Stephen, for all of this? I have one in mind, but I want I to suppose, ask you. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to summarize with a, a bit of a side story to just note that speaking of conspiracy theories, after the, the so-called Williamson affair, Father Fahey completely disappeared from all SSPX websites. Because ah, yes, yes. There's yes. inability to discuss, as I think as you've done today, the, the Jewish question, because mm-hmm. any discussion of it, I think, Your Excellency, if we just say the word Jew, you just say the word yes. Jew, there's a way to yes. describe a Jewish person, you say the word Jew, that means you're anti-Semitic. You can't say the word. So, um, because, just, yes, and, yes, and if I may insert, could I insert here? Because there's a reason for that, Stephen. The reason for that is that that, that for them, uh, the, the word is so sacred that on our lips it's a blasphemy, and blasphemy, of course, has to be punished. We know that. So you yeah. can say Jewish, but you can't say Jew because it's just too sacred. It's like the the, the Jew, the Orthodox Jew, won't write the word for God. He won't write it down because it's just too sacred. So that and but they have us all trained to do that, though, don't they? Yeah. So that would be my conclusion is even within the so-called traditional movement, as, as we would say, the sort of pan, and I know you don't like that, but, you know, as a reference point for some Novus Ordo within the sure, sort of sure. greater traditional movement, um, there is there is a, basically a capitulation. We're not allowed to talk about these things. Father Fahey's been disappeared, and all of these yes. writings disappeared. Yes. Um, the the the, uh, the little summary or capitulation that that I would uh, to use as original meaning uh, that I would use is is a favorite Heinerism, as it were, a favorite little phrase of Stephen. That is to say, how Catholics today are reluctant to eat their spinach. That is to say, to do their homework. Um, unfortunately, many people have given up. They've given up thought. They've, they've certainly given up reading. They've certainly given up intelligent discussion. Uh, they've certainly given up prayer to, to, to the Holy Ghost for enlightenment so they can understand these great themes. And they're going to they're gonna move right away from the, the spinach to the pumpkin pie. <laughs> that's because of Thanksgiving. And that's, that's pretty much what people want today. So, but unless, I assure you, unless you're willing to eat your vegetables, a spinach included if it's on the plate, you, you'll, you'll never be able to put it together. And it will just seem like a step too far, sort of a crazy conspiracy. Can I, uh, may I... Um, conclude with an, an anecdote that uh, an Austrian priest who recently left, recently the last few years, left the Pius X Society, uh, told me 
during during a visit recently, and it's about this idea of the Pius X Society and um, the conspiracy. I think to understand that a true conspiracy in the world today truly exists on the part of the organized forces of naturalism against the Catholic Church can be uh, that can be grasped in one of two ways. That is to say, by what we're, what we're talking about today, <laughs> study and prayer and reading and reflection and good discussion. Um, another way, which will at least open a door to, would be moving to the pumpkin pie, or if you prefer, the pecan. That is to say, some delicious little nugget, some anecdote that goes down pretty easy for for people. Let me toss one out today that, that I heard, and it seems to me a very, very interesting story. And what, and what Stephen was just talking about, that is to say, with the whole Bishop Williamson uh, drama, how Father Fahey was, was removed, and any discussion of the Jewish nation, those things were just removed from the, the world of the Society of St. Pius X. Uh, our, our Austrian priest uh, recently told me something that one of uh, another priest, I think a German father whom he knows, who also had left the society the last few years, came across in the reading of a reading of one of the German newspapers about uh, what would be seemingly a, just a, a, a social event, you know, marriage news. That is to say that the head of Mossad, Mossad is the Jewish or the Israeli secret service, well known as uh, extremely knowledgeable and extremely powerful throughout the world, despite their size, and truly efficient. The head of Mossad, the uh, Israeli secret service, was married uh, within the last couple of years, two, three years. And his best man was a certain Max Craw. Max Craw was the Pius X Society lawyer and financial advisor who had tremendous power and influence and about whom there's been some some discussion and some talk. He's he's since uh, no longer appears as as, as part of the uh, Mensingen uh, operation. But at one time it was openly acknowledged uh, uh, that he was indeed one of their their very influential lawyers. So the the, the listing of those things, the the the, uh, the uniting of those things, that should be uh, that doesn't exempt you from doing the reading, the thinking, and the praying, but that maybe would spur our our listeners on to investigate for themselves. I think you're absolutely right, Your Excellency. Well, it brings us to the end of the season. I think it's a it's a great place for us to end the season. We're clearly not done with the series yet. We've still got a little bit to go. We're up to about 1848, call it 1870. So we've still got more unfortunate. And I have to say, it's all downhill from here, right? So uh, we don't have any. <laughs> I'm afraid that it is. We don't I'm have any. We don't is. have any good news for you. But I think it's a, it's a fitting place to end from where we started. We started with Charlemagne. We started yes, with Constantine, yes. the establishment of Christianity w- within the Roman Empire, and we're ending now for this season with with Freemasonry and. I suppose in a way that characterizes the Freemasonry is going to characterize a lot of what we're going to be looking at going forward. It's, it's the new force. Um, it, that it, to be reckoned it, it, with. it is indeed uh, truly to be reckoned with and very, very powerful. Well, on the one hand, Stephen, we don't have good news. I am an optimist by my, by my nature and my Irish blood. So I must, I must, I must claim some higher ground of, of, of gladness and joy here. And I think the good news is this. We're not left 
having concluded our first se- our, the, the first season, we're not left scratching our heads and wondering in sort of an, an angry despondency, how could it have happened? But how, as people will when they get talking to a priest or a bishop, uh, how could it have happened? How could it have happened? Uh, at least our, our Lord in his mercy grants us the, the consolation of being able to answer that question. As we've just said, it's at a price. You have to be willing to pay that price. But there is an answer to that question. And if we can answer that question, how could it have happened, then we have the first steps of how to turn it around. And that should fill all of us with, with uh, not optimism, but, but with, a, but with a, a serene Christian joy and, and, and a true hope for our lives and for the future. Well, I think that's an excellent place to end. Uh, keep in mind, we're going to keep going chronologically. So if you're wondering what's next, uh, just if you want to read some history, look at what happens after 1870. We'll be getting to that. And Your Excellency, as always, uh, thanks for your time. And uh, we look forward to, to next season and the end of this series. You're, you're very welcome, Stephen. And, and I look forward to, to being with you again in January. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.